This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Hello and welcome to the Best Friends Podcast. My name is John Dunn. Today is October the 20th, and I have some news, which is that there are some changes coming to the podcast. Our very first episode, April the 9th of 2020, easily, like six lifetimes ago, right? If you've listened to a few episodes, then you probably know that the podcast is one part of a slate of offerings through the Best Friends Network Partner Program. That's our program that supports thousands of animal shelters and rescue organizations across the country, almost 4,000 partners, 3980 to be exact, which is amazing, but it's a big responsibility that we take very seriously, and it's a big deal to me and all of us that you've decided that it's going to be a benefit to you and your organization to be a network partner, that you value the content that we offer, including the podcast, but also the town halls and webinars. We have written articles like Program Spot and editorials. We have a vlog. We have playbooks, manuals, things that can help you with your operations, data, research. We put on events, right? We do the adoption events. We have the Rachel Ray grants. It's a lot of things. And we're constantly striving to make sure we're giving you what you need the most to be effective in your work. What can we offer you so you can save more lives for less? Since we started the podcast, we put out 133 episodes. We've had the opportunity to speak with more than 200 guests from just about every state. We have more subscribers than ever, and the number of downloads continues to go up, which might make this announcement feel a little bit strange, but we're going to be reducing the frequency of new episodes. Now, just as you will hear on today's episode, it doesn't matter how big your organization is. You have to make prioritization decisions, even when those decisions aren't easy to make. So with some of those changes in mind going forward, our plan is to publish new episodes every other week. Our off weeks won't always be off. We'll continue creating content, and where it makes sense, we'll put out bonus episodes. There's always so much more to every interview that doesn't make the final cut, so maybe we can share some of that, and who knows what else we'll come up with. Of course, we'd love to hear from you, because again, we are doing this for you. So any feedback you have, please share with us. You can email us podcast at bestfriends.org, podcast at bestfriends.org. You'll find that address in the show notes on your podcast player. So what is today's episode all about? Stephen Martinez is the executive director of the York County SPCA, which is about a couple of hours west of Philadelphia. When he accepted the position three years ago, he put in motion a radical transformation plan that touched just about every single area of the organization. And when I say radical, I mean, it's radical. If you've ever gone about implementing or changing your shelter management software, you know how difficult that can be. Now imagine redoing all of your technology platforms all at once. Yeah, I know, it doesn't sound like it would work very well, but the York County SPCA proves that it can be done, and it can be done to great effect. Stephen presented their story at this year's Best Friends National Conference. A video of that presentation along with the slide deck is available. Check the show notes on your podcast player. We also have a companion piece on the Best Friends Network website that goes into much greater detail on the different elements you will hear on today's podcast. That link also in the show notes. And finally, since we're talking about the conference, here is a very early plug for the 2023 Best Friends National Conference, which is happening in August, and it will be in Houston, Texas. A link with more information will be, guess where? Yes, 
in the show notes. And now my conversation with Stephen Martinez, the executive director of the York County SPCA in Pennsylvania. Stephen, I'm so happy to be able to talk with you and talk about this topic on the podcast because I think it is so incredibly important. And if we're talking about what is most important when it comes to saving lives in this work, sure, we can talk about conversation-based adoption approaches. We can talk about play groups, any life-saving program, marketing, social media, HR, I mean, whatever. But without having a stable, organized, healthy organization on the inside, none of those things are going to be as effective as they could be. And if we're looking to how one organization was able to hit that reset button and truly transform itself, I've got to believe there are few better examples out there than what you've been able to do at the York County SPCA. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. You know, our, my whole, I like to pick themes, right? I like, so I'm a storyteller and uh, I like to pick themes. And for us, for me, the theme was just get our house in order, was to get really good at doing the basics, just be experts at being a good, solid animal shelter. So that's what that's what we were kind of focusing on and built our theme around for the first three years that I've been here. What were you doing before animal welfare? Uh, I have I have <laughs> zero experience in animal welfare before I came here. Um, uh, to be fair, all of us at some point had no experience, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, and, you know, kudos to the board for seeing past that and looking at the potential of, you know, whatever leadership capabilities they saw that could contribute to the SPCA. So, uh, before here, I, I have a business background, so I have an MBA and was started up a couple of companies and then um, went into venture capital and private equity in Chicago. That's where I met my wife, was in Chicago. And and then when we, you know, 10 or so years later, we decided to move to where she's from, which is central Pennsylvania. And so then I transitioned my career into the nonprofit world. So I went from the very for-profit, like increase shareholder wealth and make, pe- make rich people more rich to working in nonprofit mission-driven work, which for me, you know, is, is wonderful. It makes me feel good about the work that I do. And I definitely sleep a lot better than before. Well, it's so interesting that you came from that background. You know, I read a book a few years ago, uh, a guy called Chip Conley ran a chain of boutique hotels. He talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and, you know, how in the for-profit space, the challenge for him was always trying to get the staff, you know, the staff furthest away from the boardroom to be connected to the mission of the company, to the vision, to how that boardroom wanted it executed, right? So the executives get it, but what about the front desk clerk or the maintenance person? In nonprofits, it's sort of the other way around, right? We come to this field because of the mission, but then the challenge is to get everyone aligned behind the rest of it. So I do think it's different. I think that the skills that you learn in in the for-profit world running companies definitely translates into running a nonprofit business because then I do, I run it like a business, but the premise, like the starting place is fundamentally different between for-profit and nonprofit. So I'll give you an example. When I went through business school, one of the like nuts and bolts, 101, 101 businessy thing you learn is the biz is what, what is the mission of a for-profit like publicly traded organization? And the answer to that question is, is to increase shareholder wealth. So it doesn't matter if you're Coca-Cola and your mission is to make the best sugar water on the planet. Their actual mission is to increase shareholder wealth. At the end of the day, that's what they have to do. So in the nonprofit world, your mission statement that's you know printed on the website or wherever is actually the mission. So it's not to increase shareholder wealth. It's to actually benefit and to further 
that mission. So, you know, you're, you're talking about two different headspaces <laughs> there when you're talking, when you're for comparing for-profit to non-profit, because at the end of the day, a for-profit organization has to increase shareholder wealth. And at what cost? Treating, you know, it doesn't matter, like, if you have to treat the environment well, right? Or if you have to make the best quality product, or they're not required to pay employees a living wage. Like, those aren't, that's not their mission. And they tell you the rule from the get-go. I learned it as a freshman in college, right? That the rule is, is you don't have to do right by the environment. You don't have to pay people living wages. You don't have to make high quality products. You just have to increase shareholder wealth. So it's just a different headspace in terms of priorities when you're running a nonprofit versus a for-profit. I just want to say that should the Coca-Cola company be interested in partnering with Best Friends or the York County SPCA, that it is absolutely delicious sugar water. <laughs> <laughs> My dad worked for Coca-Cola for 33 years, so that's why I pick on them, because we got a lot of love for them. Well, obviously, you presented at the Best Friends National Conference. You're now on the podcast because your approach and this radical transformation was successful. But just so folks are clear, tell me about the York County SPCA and maybe give me a picture of the organization prior to the transformation and after. Okay. So... There's different types of animal shelters. So you've got the municipal animal shelter that's, you know, a government funded shelter and they have these requirements to provide a public service. You have the private shelter rescue and they're just, you know, funded privately by individual contributions. And then the York County SPCA is a little bit of a hybrid between those two. So we contract with all 72 municipalities in York County, Pennsylvania. So by, we're contracted by, we have an, we're of an obligation to provide that service, but we are a, a nonprofit organization, an independent, no affiliation with the ASPCA animal shelter. So we're kind of that hybrid between a municipal shelter and just a straight nonprofit shelter. And so we have like your typical mission where we do animal cruelty investigations. So we employ a humane society police officer. Uh, you know, we, we do, we find loving permanent homes for stray and displaced animals. We control the pet population growth rates through an aggressive spay neuter program. And we educate public about animal wellness and safety, keeping people and pets together. When I started in 2018, our average save rate was 53%. In 2018, our average save rate was 53%. So that meant that about half the animals that came in alive to our shelter did not have a live outcome. And that's heartbreaking to think about. So then when I got here, you know, I gathered my leadership team and we knew that we could do better. We knew we could do better than 53%. And so we crafted this strategy we called our best practices transformation. And what that means is that we stole ideas from all the leading experts, animal welfare experts throughout the country. So we stole ideas from best friends. We stole ideas from the Humane Society, from anybody who was the expert. We crafted a plan and we wove all those ideas together and we got to work. And so then in 2019, we increased our save rate to 64%. So we went from 53 to 64%. And then in 2020, we went from 64% to 79% save rate. In 2021, we went from 79% save rate to 85%. And uh, this year, and we're almost to the end of the year here, we're at a 95% save rate. So essentially, we increased our average save rate by 43 percentage points in three years, thanks to our hard work and the best practices transformation. It's incredible progress, Stephen. And again, to be clear, the things that you're going to talk about today, anyone can do this. Like anyone can do what you've been able to do there in Pennsylvania. So if you run a municipal shelter, you've got a lot more red tape. You've got a lot more hurdles to jump over because it's just more bureaucratic. You have to answer to a governing body that controls the purse strings. 
If you're a nonprofit organization, you have a ton of flexibility and you can move a lot quicker. Now we're the middle. So you could argue because, you know, municipal shelters are municipal shelters, it's a little harder to create change. But we contract with all 72 municipalities in York County, right? But also because we're a, for a nonprofit independent organization, we were also able to move quickly. So we saw dramatic change in a short amount of time because we had that advantage, but also municipal shelters can do it too. So the title of your presentation is Pursuing Radical Transformation at Your Organization Against All Odds. I want to know what those odds were. You know, what did you have to face when you walked into that building on day one? Odd number one, culture change, right? Change is difficult. You hear it all the time. People have dedicated books and webinars and whatever to change. And that that is certainly the challenge we had today. So the way that we were, when we had a 53% save rate, that was... You know, the reason why we had that wasn't because the leadership before me wasn't good or didn't care or any of that. It's just because they were behaving like a regular animal shelter at that time. Right. But then, you know, Maya Angelou quote, right, says, do the best you can until you know better. And then when you know better, you do better. And so we did that research. We stole all these great ideas. And then suddenly we knew how to do better. And you can't unknow that once you have that information. And so then we dedicated ourselves to pursuing change. And so I think it's just important to say that it's not like I have, I'm anything special, right? It's just that they were behaving like all other shelters, like many, I should say, many shelters were behaving at that time. And so it's nothing against them. And, and, and the challenge was, of course, that culture change. So we had this, like, my, my organization is almost 100 years old. So we had essentially 100 years of that same old typical dog pound empowerment and empowerment you know, euthanize all the animals that can't that can't be in a home kind of mentality. So to undo that in the community and among my team and the board of directors, it's 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 challenging. And so I, I focus some of my talk on how do you manage change and how do you leverage communications and influence and all the storytelling to kind of help people change mindsets and culture. I forgot to ask about the size of the organization, but just maybe annual intake, just ballpark it. It's like two, 3,000. Oh yeah. It was over 20. It was like, you know, 3,000. It was, it was multiple thousands of animals that we would take in each year. And we take in a whole lot less now. And, you know, some people who don't, you know, you, you could have like a knee jerk reaction saying they take in less, they're doing less work, right? They're not doing their job, but really the goal is to keep people and pets together and out of the shelter, right? The goal is to save the most number of animal lives and to fill the community with sterilized animals. So taking in less is actually an indication of success. But I just did like a public town hall conversation and I had to kind of educate our community on actually taking in less is do us doing our job, not not doing our job. Uh, you said the organization's over a hundred years old. I imagined you had staff, some of whom may still be there, who had been there a long time, right? They'd been through more than one Stephen over the years. There were processes in place, a structure in place, but you came in and said, okay, time out, everybody. We've got to start from square one here. So forget the current org chart. Forget everything you know. We're going to start from scratch. And like, here's what day one is going to be. It, it, that's exactly where it started from. Like I needed to get my house in order before I could go out and say to the world, to, our, to my community, that we are an organization you can definitely trust and that you can definitely donate to, right? Like if my job is to be a salesperson for the York County SPCA and to raise as much money I can so that I can fulfill our mission and pay my folks a living wage, I need to stand on solid ground to do so. So before you know, I had to do all the things that really I should be doing as a CEO, I first needed to make sure our house was in order. So that way I had that 
So that way I had that in, in my pocket, right? That I had that confidence that we were doing what I said we were doing as best as we could. So it started with that. It started with figuring out operations and running that efficiently. It was actually starting with the org chart and redrawing the org chart. So that way, you know, people reported to other people. In my talk, I talked about the most boring thing you could possibly talk to a group of people with, which was setting goals, setting smart goals, right? And holding people accountable to those goals. It's just like all that boring stuff that really adds up and makes a difference. And then once you do that, three years later, we're all breathing a sigh of relief because the community is not controlling us. Our intake in animal overpopulation and crowding isn't controlling us. We're giving ourselves room to think and to be strategic, right? So now we're able to really start pursuing, like so far we've been taking from the body of knowledge, you guys, best friends and others. But now we're getting to the point where we can contribute to the body of knowledge. And isn't that a healthy place to be? It's a great place to be. And I think we're appreciative of folks like you who think this way and are so willing to give back to others in the community. You know, it is what makes animal welfare what it is, I think. You know, it's good people doing good things. Okay, well, since you mentioned it already, let's talk about SMART goals. You just lost half your viewers right there, <laughs> your listeners. Well, I know. I have a note here next to this question, actually, that says, be careful not to go too deeply into this. But it is very <laughs> relevant to me right now. All of us at Best Friends, we're doing this very thing for FY23. We're looking at our job descriptions. Are they still where they need to be? Is what we're doing what we still should be doing based on the current strategic priorities for the organization? And if we're being fully transparent and honest, I don't enjoy it. This <laughs> is like not my favorite kind of work. But I've also worked at places that didn't have this process, including when I started at Best Friends. And if you've been able to experience both ways, you know how important it is. You know, whenever I hear a newer employee groan about this stuff, I get to do my in the old days <laughs> talk, you know, and say, hey, this isn't super fun. I get it. But your employment experience is going to be vastly better because we take the time to do this. That for me is the key, that last part right there. People feel better when they know what the rules are. Right. When you can be when you're not running a, an environment that feels chaotic, but instead you can create an environment where people know what you want them to do. You've communicated that clearly. You've told them the answers to the test. Like, here's how you get an exceeds expectation on your evaluation. I'm going to specifically tell you what I care about. And I'm going to say that if I ask you to do things beyond what we said we were going to do, you can tell me no. Or even better, you can say, all right, Stephen. I will do that thing that you're excited about that you want me to pursue, but what do you want me to stop doing that we talked about when we were setting goals? What do you want me to stop doing so that I can do that thing that you're excited about in this moment in time? And then that gets me to think critically like, uh, okay, maybe that wasn't as important as I thought. Let's just stay focused on the plan, right? So it prevents mission drift and it gives people that peace of mind and sort of calm that they know what they're expected to do and how they're going to be held accountable. And then at the end of the day, they're going to feel good because they had a good performance review and they all, and we all know what that means and what those definitions are. So if you're tracking, using data, understanding how you can be more effective, I assume that means shifting things as you go, right? And that's okay. Like it doesn't need to be so rigid where what we decided on at the start of the year, that's what we're doing. And we'll only talk about it again in 12 months. It, it, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's a really good, really good point. And the point of setting goals is so that you know, is so that you can stop and think critically about 
Is this thing that we now want to pursue five months later more important? And are we at a different place today than we were five months ago? And does it make sense to change? And if it does make sense to change, let's document that and at least acknowledge it. So that way people aren't getting punished or, you know, for not achieving one goal because we've shifted to another. And then also they don't feel overwhelmed because then you just keep adding things to their plate. Whereas now you can intentionally say, we're going to stop doing this, take it off your plate, but then put this other thing on. So that's just basic 101 management, right? That's people management and business management. That's how you pursue change. Like that's a great, the reason why I offered that in my talk is because I just wanted to give a really seemingly boring example of how doing the basics can really advance the cause, the mission, and help you fulfill your strategy, your strategic plan. You put a lot of focus on communication in your presentation, both internal and external. I want to talk about the internal part because you come in on day one. Again, I'm sure you were not the first person to come into that role within that organization that had ideas of how to change things for the better. You know, I've heard some executive directors talk about their onboarding. You know, they basically walked in the door and said, look, we're going to do things differently. And if you're with me, great. If not, there's the door. <laughs> oh, maybe not that harsh, but you understand what I mean? I mean, did you have to kind of have that moment? And how did you handle that? I, I did. I did have those challenges where people just were not going to get on board with this new direction that we were going to. And as much as you try to give them your reasoning and, and try to communicate why you're doing what you're doing and why you believe what you believe. And, you know, you try to say like, here's people who are excellent doing it. And we're just going to bring these ideas and modify them to work in York County. And still some people just are not going to get on board. And, you know, at that point, you just have to, you just have to say, this is who we are. These are our new values and you're either with us or you're not. Right. But I think the important part is to include is when you're pursuing change from the get go, it's important to not just swing in the door and act like, you know, everything, because that's just going to turn people off. And you're, it's just going to create this like instant kind of negative reaction. Like people are going to push back against you just because you're behaving that way. Right. So obviously like the way that you want to try to pursue change is to include as many people in that conversation as possible. And so it's to, you know, include board members on what do they, what would they like to see done? It's including the staff and what are your ideas? It's including key stakeholders in the community, like your donors or the media, or I don't know, like rescue partners. And then getting all these ideas, mixing them all together into the plan and then seeing what comes out. What is it that you can do and can't do? So as more, the more you include people in that conversation, then once they feel like they've been heard and that their, their ideas are a part of the, the future, then they're going to be more bought into that. They have more skin in the game. Well, on the survey front, let me just say, I've worked at a lot of places and I, I would consider best friends to have been like this when I started, quite frankly. There were a lot of surveys. It was like a culture of surveying, but it didn't always translate into change or you know, the changes that sort of quote unquote came out of that survey actually weren't at all what the survey results reflected. So including people in a conversation, I think also has to include taking that feedback and acting on it. Otherwise, you just start to lose folks, you know, and they're going to say, what's the point? I mean, you don't ever do anything we ask for. Right. Yeah. And and if you're not going to take all the feedback that you get, just if you can explain why, just say that you, you can only do so much. We only have so much time, resources, emotional capital available to us. So we're just picking and choosing what we're going to do for these reasons right here. And maybe the rest we'll get to in the next three-year plan. Well, you broke down your transformation into five pillars. What were those pillars? So our 
best practices transformation was made up of five pillars of change. And those five pillars are the IT infrastructure overhaul, our community cap programs, adopters welcome, and that philosophy behind adopter, adopters welcome. And that's culture change right there. And then the other two are improving our internal communications and our external communications. And, and so the, I would say it's all challenging to pursue. These are big bites of the apple here, but the community cap program in terms of like from a public relations perspective was certainly the most challenging to roll out. And we did it over three years. And I will say that the pandemic was kind of like that, that helped. That helped us kind of, I wasn't planning on doing that much change over three years, but because of the pandemic, we were able to kind of sneak some stuff in from a, a politics, like plain politics viewpoint. And we just blamed everything on the pandemic. <laughs> it's like, hey, we're going to do this now because the pandemic's happening. Whereas, you know, reality, we were going to do that that stuff anyways. We were just able to fast track a lot of our programs because of the pandemic and we needed to do it. You know, we needed to operate very efficiently to get through those kinds of that kind of time. A lot of resources around community cap programs. We've got a lot. We'll have links in the show notes. How to implement them. And obviously a big part of that is communication. Again, something we've done on the podcast, we've talked about it a lot with our community cat folks that, you know, the vast majority of complaints related to community cat programs really can be managed. But I think so much of these issues and really an awful lot of what we do, Stephen, when it comes to communicating externally, we just don't do a great job of letting people know what we're doing, you know, why we're doing it and what that means for them you're never going to please everybody, right? Like no matter what you pursue radical, you pursue the community cap programs that are outlined by best friends and others. You're going to get a bunch of crap from the public. You're not going to not have that happen, right? If you, if you, if you don't have public relation problems, I would say you're, you live in a lucky community or I don't know. I, I can't imagine not having problems, but from what I've learned is it, it's whose opinion matters. So when you, are pursuing the community cap programs, it's lining up those key opinion leaders that really matter, right? So you're always going to have people who are like, you know, those community cat trapper people who are going to have strong opinions and they're going to take to social media. And it doesn't matter if what you're doing is right or wrong or data supported or not. They're just going to be mad because that's their hobby is to be mad on social media. But the people whose opinions matter are your big funders and the municipal leaders, right? Because you don't want to, from our perspective, we didn't want to lose those contracts. And so those are the people who we needed to talk to and to explain. And so when we do these community conversations, those are the folks that we're inviting to the table to give our reasoning for why we're doing this. And then if you line those people up, when you get the other people who take the social media and say all kinds of crazy things and like lie and, you know, try to undermine all the work that you're trying to accomplish, it doesn't really matter because your key opinion leaders and key stakeholders are already like your friends, because you've already done that, taken that time to communicate with them on why we're doing this. And then I got really good at selling the community cap programs to those key opinion leaders and to key stakeholders. One of my favorite lines from your presentation, be transparent, but not all at once. I love that. No, not all at once. That's a problem. So like, I've, I can't tell you how many of my fellow EDs or CEOs who tried to pursue some of the same stuff that we did but then ended up getting just, they just didn't have the success or they even got ran out of town or they just experienced compassion fatigued and walked away. Right. And it's because they tried to do everything all at once. And they, you know, they, they, they kind of, I don't know, like there's, there's a, there's an order of operation to this work. And that's why I said that in my talk was like, transparency is important, 
but you have to manage that release of your information so that people understand the information that they're getting. Well, to do all the things you've done in three years, it takes strong leadership. And, and that's something you talk about in your presentation. You know, you described yourself as a likable person, as a storyteller, two things that you said uh, really have been crucial to your success. So what I was talking about is if you're going to pursue disruptive change, my viewpoint is that you're going to have to, to some extent, be an influential leader. And so there's lots of different techniques that people can leverage in terms of influence. Because influence is getting people to do something that you want them to do, right? Whether it's to donate or to get on board with your community cat programs. And so you'll need to leverage your ability to influence people through um, different techniques. So I was only highlighting two techniques of influence that I used that work well for me because they play to my strengths. And so then that would be... um, like a likable person and an effective storyteller. And when I say likable person, I defined what I meant by that, right? So I'm not being like the guy who you want to go to a bar and drink a beer with, right? Like that's not what I mean by likable or a guy who makes everybody laugh. It's just like, you know, it's just behaving in a way that consciously be like you behave in a way that that cranks up people's trust, admiration, respect for you, thus increasing your likability and ability to influence. So it's like these techniques. And then that, that talk gives examples of what I mean on how to be a likable person, because if you can create those connections with people and they, and they, they feel like you're real and being authentic, then they're going to be more likely to trust you and you're building trust. And once you can build trust, then you can, you know, you, you can pursue influence. This is probably a weird analogy, but stay with me. I recently rewatched the movie Braveheart. Mel Gibson, you know, he's on a horse in front of this Scottish ragtag army about to lead them into battle against a, you know, much better resourced English. He didn't say, shoot, guys, don't know about this. They, uh, they look really strong. He didn't say we've got no chance. They have nicer weapons. No, no. It's that iconic line, right? They might take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. And you know how I'm ready to jump into the TV and fight for them. And I think that's a big part of that is really rallying people and really helping them understand that you know what they're going through as well, right? You know, our CEO, Julie Castle, she took on the role uh, of CEO. She made it a priority to volunteer with all the different teams and departments, scooping cat poop, walking dogs, whatever it is, because the message that you get from that is like, hey, I know what you're going through and I'm with you. And I think you're also probably going to learn a lot about what's going on. Well, okay. Yeah. I like that. That's a good analogy. That is, that is an example of a type of leadership and an ability to influence. But when I think about like likability, like you think about the type of people who work in animal welfare, right? Like, like if you're going to just generalize, uh, you know, just describe the people who work in this, like one thing that won't work with the typical animal welfare person is like, you know, using your authority to get people to do things like that's never going to work in managing people, right? So avoid leveraging your authority. You know, just because you have authority doesn't mean that people are going to listen to you. And in fact, it could mean that your authority will put people off. You know, your authority could breed resistance, rebellion, resistance. And so don't be that kind of leader, right? That's not a likable person when you're just dictating things. Like I can sometimes picture a general in a battle doing, right? Um, You know, be like a positive person, like there's so much negativity in this world. Like there is just enough negativity. So if you can just be a positive person and be able to paint a vision of what our future looks like, then that inspires people. And if you can inspire people and be a positive person, a person who somebody likes being around, then you can be a likable person. And then you can suddenly influence people to hopefully accomplish your strategic plan. 
you know, just making personal connections. Like that's what I mean by being a likable person. I don't mean be a cool person or somebody. And sometimes you have to make decisions that people aren't going to like, but you can still give people an answer that you know they're not going to like. And, they'll, and you're still a likable person and they'll still go along with it because they trust you and respect you, even though they may not agree with you. That's like what I mean by being a likable person. Earlier, you talked about how difficult change is. Unquestionably, change is very hard. How did you keep everyone going? You know, I, I've got to think that morale fluctuated quite a lot as you went through this. So, you know, was it as simple as celebrating the wins as you went, seeing the progress like, hey, here's this proof of concept. I know it feels bad right now, but just look at what we've done the last six months. So you could breed this kind of continual feeling of, yeah, this is hard, but it is working. Exactly right. I agree with all that. I will say, like, if I'm being honest, <laughs> right, um, celebrating our successes was one of my weaknesses over the past three years. And the reason why is because, you know, we pursued radical change in a short amount of time and that you pay a price for that. Like we went from 53% to 95% in three years. Okay. It doesn't mean like everything has been great at the York County SPCA. You pay a price for that kind of change in that amount of time. And celebrating successes, I think, has been one of my weaknesses as a leader. Because, And the reason why is because as soon as we experienced one success, we were right on to the next project. Like we just didn't skip a beat. It was like, all right, we did that one thing really well. Let's go do the next thing, right? And it's because we're all like type A ambitious people and we are dedicated to becoming a leading animal resource center. And so we just finished our three-year strategic plan. And in that retreat, the team and I actually sat down and spent like two hours reviewing our successes that we've experienced over the last three years, just because we hadn't done that before. And we felt like our successes would help inform our th next three-year strategic plan. You know, just knowing, like studying what you've done right and what you've done wrong can help you become better for the next three years. So, you know, you do need to do that. And we, we probably fell short on that. And that's kind of the price we paid for moving so quickly. And now we're trying to get better at that going into the next three years. Another line from the presentation I pulled out, uh, which was related to the kind of internal communications part, was it, it gives the struggle meaning. The struggle is real, right? We're talking a lot right now about the struggle. But during the difficult times, you know, if we're doing this together and we're all driving in the same direction and we're seeing the progress, like that's the meaning. And nobody should have to have a difficult day at work. But some days, Doing this, we have really hard days. We have days that just absolutely wipe us out physically, emotionally. But, you know, as long as we have that meaning, right, it's hard, but we're doing it together and it's worth it. You're right. I mean, what, what I think I said something like meaningful frustration is easier to bear than meaningless frustration. And that's what I work hard on is making sure that I remind people every day why what they do matters. And even though it's hard and you're stressed out, your work matters, right? Because people want faith. They want faith in you and your goals and your success. It's it's faith that moves mountains, not facts, right? And we sometimes I can get caught up in the facts. You know, I can say we were at 53%, now we're at 95%. So we're doing great. And that's not really gonna be enough to persuade everybody to keep with it, to keep with the work. You have to go deeper than that. And you know, and, and we're nonprofit leaders, which means we're in the we're in the mountain moving business. So I agree. I agree with that. I think you have to give people's struggle meaning or else you're not going to retain those folks and they're just going to burn out. And obviously we need to 
incorporate work-life balance too into all that. Yeah, I told you we're going through our goal setting process right now. And and one thing I think we do a good job of at Best Friends for our staff, and it's not easy, especially with the wide variance of roles and locations that we have, but we try really hard to help people understand how their individual role at Best Friends impacts best friends, the larger work, the mission, the vision, right? Connecting everybody to all of those things. Obviously, an easier thing for for those who work in hands-on animal care or adoptions or volunteers, but those in support roles, you know, how do they know that the work they're doing every day is really connected to to lives saved. You know, seeing that big picture, it's not something everyone can do easily, and that's okay. But, you know, as you're undertaking this three-year transformation, how did you help people see that big picture, Stephen, so that even when things were a little tough, they were able to realize, hey, there's a bigger thing happening here, and it all matters, and it's all good? That, that is my job. I think that's how I think about a big, a big part of my job, is make sure I'm connecting dots in people's minds about how their donation or cleaning a kennel or, you know, like um, filing our audit on time, like how all of those things connect to us becoming the leading animal resource center in York County, Pennsylvania. So that's my, like just reminding people of that in your meetings, um, when you have those donor visits, those sorts of things. It's just making sure that you start with the with the why, right? I mean, that's, we hear that all the time is why we're doing this and why what you do directly impacts this mission. And then also explaining to other people how what our CFO work does or what the kennel tech work does connects to the overall mission of the organization. So I just, I just think consciously about that and try to make sure that I communicate that why, because I'm, you know, I'm as the, as the executive director, you have that perspective of the whole organization. So it's my job to be able to understand what everybody's doing and be able to connect those dots together. So it's my job. That's how I view an important part of my job. Can you over communicate? Well, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So how do I know that if I'm saying too much? You can overshare. Well, remember when we went going back to that piece about transparency, like on day one, I didn't just immediately go, our save rate's 53%. We need to do better because then you're just going to turn people off. They're going to be like, okay, I'm not going to give to an organization that's like killing half the animals that come comes in alive, right? So you have to be able to give a plan so and demonstrate that you have the capabilities to pursue success and to improve yourself. That would be like an example. So, yeah, you can you can definitely over communicate. So and, and you can over communicate if you don't have your ducks in a row. Right. You don't have like the you know, you don't have your plan in place to to be able to effectively communicate what you plan to do about X, Y and Z. The more data becomes a larger piece of the work and, and the more organizations are effectively tracking their data. You know, it's interesting, I think, to see how different organizations approach communicating that. Some are radically open, like, hey, man, the curtain's open. Look at all of it. Others aren't really at all interested in even touching the curtain. And there are others that might have pulled the curtain back a little bit. But as you said, you know, the first time they did it, the public jumped on it and said, your save rate is 50%. So instead of saying, we've got 50% to save, how can we do it, right? The public was like, you're killing half of them, and therefore you're terrible. And they get a lot of blowback. Yeah, you have to give them that story. Tell me more about storytelling. But to be clear, you're not suggesting be untruthful. It's not no, a fake no. story situation. Yeah, yeah. By story, I don't mean inventing a, a fictional piece of narrative to explain how, you know, to explain something away, right? I mean, like giving them a vision of your future. So it's, here's where we're at now. And I'm not going to go public with the 53% because once it hits social media, then it goes nuts. Like, But like to your key stakeholders and donors, just say, hey, we're at 53%. We have a plan. 
I want you to be a part of this plan and here's our plan. And now you can invest in us because you're dedicated to seeing us do better and be better because we don't you want to have the leading animal resource center in Pennsylvania, right? Right here in York County. It's helping them understand how they can be a part of the solution. But you have to come up with that information and you have to figure out how to frame that narrative in a way that like instead of turns people away, brings them into the fold. And that that's not something you can just you have to think about that and you have to kind of figure that out. That's part of strategic thinking and planning. Since we're talking about storytelling in the public, tell me uh, about what you call dumpster gate. <laughs> so public relations, right? You know, nearly all the change that we implemented encountered resistance. So I get resistance from everywhere, right? I get resistance from my staff, my donors, my board, from the community. And, and so you just have to get good at, at, at public relations if you're going to pursue radical change. So Dumpstergate was this situation where we posted on social media what we thought was going to be a pretty like non-controversial post. It was basically our pet food pantry program was low on pet food. And so we asked the community to donate cat, cat food in particular because we wanted to restock our pet pantry supplies. Pretty safe post, you would think. Uh, but then we had you know, one of our detractors in the community post this picture on our social media that was a pet food in a dumpster. And then they said that if you donate food to the York County SPCA, here's what they're going to do with it. And then they had that picture of pet food in their dumpster, meaning that we would throw it away. And so what they were trying to do is that's not true. We obviously don't throw away donated pet food. Uh, but what they were trying to do is to undermine us. They didn't like our policies, our community cat policies in particular. And so they were trying to divert resources from the SPCA to their to their organization, to their cause, and also under just undermine us, like, you know, weaken our credibility. So that's what Dumpstergate was. And so we had to kind of navigate that whole that whole situation. Let me be very clear that I think no organization should be above reproach, best friends, York County SPCA, anyone. But I also don't understand why people manufacture stuff like that. I mean, it happened to me when I used to do social media for best friends. Oh, oh really? You've, you've gone through something like this? Oh, yeah. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was a similar thing. Somebody had put a photo up suggesting that it was something we'd done. And I just took the photo. I ran it through reverse image search on Google, it was obviously not anything to do with us. Well, good point. So we did that too. And we, of course, the dumpster that the fake photo that they posted saying that we threw away pet food and here's a picture of it. It's not our dumpster. That's not our, that's not our photo. That's not even cat food. We were raising, like you could look at the, if you know anything, you look at the picture, that's dog food, not cat food. So it's clearly a fake post just trying to get attention and, and undermine us. And so we have different rules of PR engagement for different situations. And in this situation, it was a fake post made on our own channel of communication. So we had to actually respond to it. And so we just wrote a comment and, you know, dealt with it. And of course, it, it blew over in, a, in about a week or so. Attrition doesn't only happen internally, right? External folks, the public, specifically your supporters, they're not going to be on board with everything. You know, even with the best possible communication techniques, you are going to lose folks. How did you deal with that? Imagine you got a development director coming down to your office saying, Stephen, the big fundraiser's coming up, sponsorships, ticket sales are down. Can you calm down for a minute? <laughs> I mean, did you lose support and, and how did you handle that? Um, I definitely lost folks, but I knew what we were doing was the right thing to do because what I was hoping to do was save all the animals that have a chance at a live outcome. How can that be controversial? Right. And of course, like you're not going to get 100 percent of everybody on board and the people who you who don't like you, your detractors, they're going to be the most vocal people that garner the most attention. 
but they're oftentimes not the people who actually matter because if you're doing the right thing and you can support your strategic vision. And I'll give you an example because, you know, the proof is in the pudding, right? So when I started, our operating budget was around $2.8 million, I would say. We're at like $4.2 million today. We'll probably hit $5 million in a year or so. So yeah, I lost people, donors, part of them. But the people who matter, they stayed with us because they were dedicated to the mission, to saving animals and having a leading animal resource center in, Pencil in York County, Pennsylvania. And, and so I did lose people, but you can see that it didn't mean that we lost money. In fact, our budget grew. Well, what do you think the biggest mistakes are that leaders make when they're setting out to undertake this kind of organizational transformation? That's a tough question, you know, because, you know, I think anybody is capable of, of pursuing this change. There is nothing special or magical about our best practices transformation. I'm not particularly smart. I'd never worked in animal welfare before. I think anybody can do this. But my presentation focused on some of the tips and advice that I would give to people pursuing radical change. So I'd recommend that they go and listen to that talk and then afterwards follow up with me. And I'm happy to kind of elaborate on anything. I know that that's a super boring answer, but like there's just so many books written on how to be a good leader. There's so many talks and presentations that you can listen to, to on how to be a good leader. I don't I don't feel that I'm any any kind of authority on, on what it is to be a good leader. Right. Like all I did was focus on the mission and saving as many animals as they could, trying to treat my employees as good as, you know, the best that I could, trying to pay a living wage and to care about them and to express how awesome they are. And then to explain to the board and to our key stakeholders and opinion leaders why what we do matters and why we need you to be a part. We hope that you'll be a part of the, the solutions. You know, it's just all that that basic 101 stuff. Earlier, you mentioned you were taking all of this information from across the country. And as you've gone through this transformation, you're getting to a place where you can now contribute to that body of knowledge. How is that translated into your programming? Like, are you helping others in your area, region? You just said you finished your three-year strategic plan. Like what's coming up for you, you know, this next phase for the York County SPCA? Mm, thank, I like that question. Thank you for asking it. We've been thinking a lot about that. So we just wrapped up strategic planning and the theme, you know, I told you I love a good theme. So the theme is sustainability. Okay. So it's, we're at 95% save rate. Can we sustain this for the next three years without running everybody into the ground? How do we sustain it? And so we focused a lot about sustainability in our three-year strategic plan. So I'd love to talk to you in three years to let you know, like what we've learned about sustainability, but I will talk about one thing that we're pursuing next year that we hope will improve our sustainability. So earlier we talked about public relation challenges and there is nothing that we can do or say, there's no story that we can give, there's no data point that I can share with the community that'll ever make them not be mean to us, right? Like they are just mean, they're mean to my staff. They're, they say bad things on social media, but they don't show up for a town hall meeting. You know, those people are always going to exist in our lives, unfortunately. A small percentage, very, very small percentage of the population, but those people really have an impact, an emotional impact on my team, on my staff. And so in terms of sustainability for the next three years, what we're going to do and invest in is two pieces. One is resiliency. So if you can't control people's behavior outside, what we can control as a leader, as the executive director, is my staff's resiliency to when they have something negative happen to them, 
to absorb that as any human being would, but then recover from it as quickly as possible so that you can go on and be happy and healthy and continue working at the New York County SPCA. So we're going to invest in the sustainability piece and giving my staff the tools that they need to become more resilient. So rather than just like show appreciation and give food and like say nice things to your staff, we're going to try to dig a little deeper and build up our resiliency. And then the other piece is self-awareness. It's how do what we say, think, and do impact other people? So building up your own self-awareness. So we're going to focus on that as, as well. So that's kind of two things that we're going to try to do is just get better at us, at us being managers and at us managing our are the rest of the folks here. Well, hopefully we can check in a little sooner than three years. Well, let's talk about one of the other five pillars, uh, the changes you made in IT infrastructure. Another one that hits close to home for me because of the things I've done in my career, social media I mentioned, but also the website, which I found out much later into the redesign process for bestfriends.org that that was really less about deciding what the main navigation was going to be and way more about change management, you know, really changing the culture of the way the organization related to the to the web. And, you know, that's just one small part of the technology landscape within an organization, right? We've got shelter management software, volunteer management, foster, donor database, HR, accounting. Just changing any one of those things is a huge project. And, you know, quite frankly, it can be really difficult on staff with disruptions. And then there's training. It's just a hell of a lot. And, you changed a lot of those platforms. How did you do that? Yeah, it's it's great that you picked up on that. A lot of times when I talk about this, nobody ever grabs onto it. And that just probably means that they haven't gone through it before. I can tell that you've gone through it before because you know how much work goes into it. We, like, we basically blew up our entire IT infrastructure and rebuilt it. So everything. And, and the reason why is because you needed the tools to pursue the rest of the change. And those tools, those IT tools allow us to work more efficiently and more impactfully. So it was worth doing, but it was tough. Uh, but also there's advantage to blowing everything up and doing it again from scratch because you get a clean slate from that. So rather than like force a square peg into a round hole, right? Like try to get one platform to play with another when they're not really meant to be, to, to operate together efficiently. When you do all your IT new again, you can, you can kind of pick things that integrate well with one another. So it, it does make it a little easier than you might than, than it might sound. So the question was like, how did we do it? And the the answer is, in the first year, we just you just do it all at once. And because they all integrate well, it wasn't as hard as I think it sounds. And we, you know, I, I had gone through that before in a previous job, and and I brought in somebody who is who is also good at that and managing that change, and just empowered her to improve our IT. And then they just what they said goes. And I just kind of said like, whatever you need to do. And then we all just kind of followed it, followed in line with those changes. So there wasn't a lot of resistance. Like so much training involved. Uh, a lot of training. Yeah, a lot of training. I got everybody into the headspace of like, it doesn't have to be perfect. And don't freak yourself out when we make mistakes. Let's just build it. And then we'll learn and make mistakes and then improve along the way. So like incremental improvement. So it's just aligning the expectation that it's not going to be great the first year, but at least it's better than what we had before. And we'll just keep getting better at it as the years go on. And we have. What about the timeline? I hope listeners are able to understand the scale of the changes you made because it is a lot. And three years sounds like a long time, but it's not, you know, given the changes that you made. 
changing shelter management software alone. Again, anybody who's gone through that, that's a bear of a project. It just seems like so much change, Stephen, that you really just must have been on it. It's not just me. I have a really good leadership team. And so you can't like I brought all I brought a lot of those people with me or promoted them up from within. And so we and we were all on the same page of like we're willing to work hard to pursue this radical change. And I just had a great leadership team that I was surrounded by. And I think that if you have limited resources and time and emotional capital, you can't afford to have somebody who's not 100 percent, you know, bring in their A game every day. And you know, for me, this was like building a football team or, a, you know, a baseball team, right? It's like, you you have to be a team. And if you're, and if something's not clicking, call it out right then and there and have a conversation about it. And usually that'll lead to they're going to be better or they're not a good fit for your culture. And it just has to, it, that sounds really harsh. And I, I do care about people, obviously, but at the same time, like, I'm very serious about us becoming a leading animal resource center in this community. And I'm very serious about seeing that our save rate get up to at least 90%. And because of that, I think the team knew that I wasn't joking or that I wasn't, I was going to work hard to pursue that. And they kind of picked up on that. They matched my level, right? Because that's the kind of awesome people that they are. And we're really proud of our work. And we're really proud of the changes that we've created. And we kind of had to do it all at once because it all integrated together to create this new version of the York County SPCA. And it's not sustainable. Like these last three years have been a real challenge. And, you know, that's like not even talking about managing the COVID-19 pandemic. And so that's why the next three years was like, all right, we we figured out the recipe. We figured out what it is to be a 90% save rate shelter. In fact, we demonstrated to ourselves and to our stakeholders that we can, in fact, be one given the scope of our mission and the dynamics of our community. We weren't even sure if we had what it, like if we were just physically pos- possible given all these municipal contracts and whatever that we could be a 90%. But now that we demonstrated we can, and we figured out the recipe to create a 90% save rate shelter. And so now the next question becomes, how do we sustain that without running people into the ground? And that's why our strategic plan, the theme of that was sustainability for the next three years. So I don't encourage people to do it and to keep on doing it at that rate. It was just one of those things where it's like, we're just going to blow everything up And with this clean slate, we're going to integrate everything together by doing it all at once because it's just, it's sort of like renovating a house, right? It really sucks for a short amount of time, but you just like, you know, you you sleep on the floor and you paint the walls and you remodel the bathroom and it just, you're you're willing to live with the struggle for a short amount of time knowing that at the end you're going to have a beautiful home or a 90% better safe rate. You know, I don't recommend, that's not a healthy way to run an organization for a long period of time, but it sure got us a great shelter in a short amount of time. And now we, all we have to do is just, you know, keep vacuuming the floors and spot painting, you know, touch up here and there, that kind of stuff. What else would you like to say to folks, you know, either going through this type of transformation work right now, or they're going to be, or maybe those who know they need to, but they haven't yet started. Uh, what words of inspiration do you have for them? I would just say to them that, remember that you're not alone. I think that we can kind of get stuck in our community And our lens can get small sometimes when you're kind of thinking internally like I was about getting my house in order. And then just remembering that you're not alone, that you have people who are there who want to help you and who can be helpful. So partners like Best Friends and others were instrumental in helping my team improve. And then also just that emotional support of like, yeah, you're getting crapped on by the community and by your stakeholders, 
but don't worry what you're doing is right. Your goal is to save more animal lives. So just remember that I would just say to the people listening that you're not alone, that I'm right here with you doing my transformation thing in York County, Pennsylvania. And they can call or email me anytime if they want to test an idea or if they simply need a friend. I'd like to say a massive congratulations to Stephen and the entire team at the York County SPCA. Don't forget to check the show notes. You'll find links to all of the things you heard today, including a link that will take you to a video of Stephen's presentation he gave at the Best Friends National Conference. Thank you to Bethany Hines, Kayla Sebo, Whitney Blyton, and Kim Clonch for helping to produce this program. My name is John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast.